The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Jesus said to the Jews, I am the living bread which has come down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh for the life of the world. Then the Jews started arguing with one another. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus replied, I tell you most solemnly, if you do not eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have life in you. Anyone who does eat my flesh and drink my blood has eternal life, and I shall raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me, and I live in him. As I, who am sent by the living Father, myself draw life from the Father, so whoever eats me will draw life from me. This is the bread come down from heaven, not like the bread our ancestors ate. They are dead. But anyone who eats this bread will live forever. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Some time ago I was at a clergy gathering. I won't say where it was. Uh, but I was there and we were doing a hypothetical exercise looking at different pastoral situations we might encounter that might be awkward and how we might navigate those with a bit of pastoral sensitivity. So there was a whole lot of hypothetical scenarios that were on this sheet that we were reading. And one of them caught my attention. It said... You have just come to the church to prepare for Sunday Mass. You ask the sacristan, do you know how much communion is in the tabernacle? I think it might be low. The sacristan promptly responds, it's okay, Father. I noticed it was low, so I topped it up before Mass. Um, we've had a few laughs in the room, so I think you realize what the problem is. Consecrated hosts mixed with hosts out of the cupboard, right? Um, now, I want to say, I laughed at this. I burst out laughing. It was a silent activity, but I burst out laughing. And the priest next to me said, Ashman, that actually happens. Um, so what's, what's the problem here? Certainly, there is no malice in the sacristan. I, I want to obviously scratch that right off the table. Um, sacristans, I will add, are some of the most generous, intuitive, uh, hardworking, diligent uh, people in our parishes. And I say that including the priests as well. They're the most giving people that there are. They inspire me to no end. So this isn't about that. But it is about formation. Um, somehow, something what we believe, it was not understood. It just didn't translate, you know? So what do we believe then? I am the living bread which has come down from heaven. We heard those words from Jesus. Staggering words that shocked his hearers, anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I shall give, which he repeats again and again and again as they challenge and ask for clarification, the bread that I will give is my own flesh for the life of the world. Is that enough to say that and then we move on? Like, oh yeah, we've understood. Evidently not. Um, forget our sacristan. When Jesus said this to the crowds, who had just seen him multiply the loaves and the fish for 5,000 people. 
So they had seen a material feeding uh, miracle. They hear these words and they're agitated and they argue and the vast majority of them leave. They leave the Lord. The apostles themselves are shook by these words and they're lost for words themselves. But thankfully, they knew they would be more lost without Jesus than they would be with him. So for that reason alone, they stayed. They kept the faith. More than one scholar has noted that it was possibly at this exact moment in this Bread of Life discourse that Judas's heart was hardened against the Lord. Why? Because in an instant, it became clear to all of them that Jesus was not going to be the kind of Messiah the Jews had long been expecting and hoping for. Some kept the faith, they stayed with this strange Jesus figure, but some lost hope. But this moment wasn't just a stumbling block for Jesus' earliest followers. It continues to upset and divide followers of Christ throughout the centuries up until today. It's ironic in a way that, among other things, it is belief in the body of Christ, the sacrament, that has in part ruptured the body of Christ, the church. Think about that. It's ironic, isn't it? We, it's like we don't believe in what Christ has made us. At one point, it was understood that to be a Christian meant to be gathered with all the baptized who faithfully submitted themselves to the authority of one of the apostles' successors. And those would be, obviously, our bishops. They've succeeded from the fellowship uh, that Jesus gathered to himself and sent out. The word apostle means one who is sent. Bishop Michael is the successor of those sent ones for us. In other words, to be Christian was to be Catholic. But now being Christian might be far more loosely defined if we ask around and, and see how Christianity has grown, thank God, but, but sort of split in the process. How does one define or redefine Christianity? Well, we might take portions of the sacred scripture and then use them in ways that really they were never used. And so today, Christianity might be considered a vague acknowledgement of the presence of Jesus among us. That's pretty good, but it is pretty vague as well. It doesn't matter what you say at times or what you do. Or, or where you go, or even why you do any of those things, as long as you acknowledge Jesus in your heart. Now look, I'm going for the lowest common denominator here, but this qualifies in some people's minds as Christianity. Yep, that's the faith. That's not what Jesus gave us. This is a relatively new understanding of Christianity. In fact, it's a very new understanding of Christianity. It is not the understanding that Jesus left with his earliest followers when he asked them to teach the world, saying, all authority in heaven and on earth, we remember these words from the Great Commission, has been given to me, go therefore. It's the same impetus which, with which we're sent from the Mass. Go, make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all the commands that I gave you. And wait for this, and look, I am with you always. Yes, 
even to the end of time. Now, undoubtedly, Christ meant this in in innumerable ways, but he certainly meant it in the case of this, the bread of life. Why is it? And look, I'm saying a lot of sort of controversial things today, so don't get... Don't get too agitated here. But, but why? I'm saying this to no one in particular. I'm just saying it because it, it needs to be said. Why is it that we might hear people say, people in our own vicinity, maybe even us, we might hear people say, I don't believe Christ is really, truly present in that bread on the altar there, or in a church for that matter. Jesus is present everywhere. Uh, Jesus is in my heart He's in nature. That's where I encounter the Lord. Things like this, it, it's like a false dichotomy has been set up. And it's, it's a nonsense dichotomy. How can Jesus be everywhere except there? You know what I'm saying? How can Jesus be everywhere except here, where we explicitly gather to encounter him? What a nonsense statement. It's a false dichotomy. He, he's either everywhere, including here, or he's nowhere at all. You get to pick one of those two. There is no third option. So this is a problem for so-called Christian mistaken self-identifications. I'm trying my hardest not to, not to pin this on any particular group of people or people in, in particular. Um, there's some truth here, but it's not the truth. Others might say, oh, Christ is not in the smoke and the bells and the whistles of the fancy church rituals. Christ is on the street, in the poor, in the outcast. True. True. The second statement is true. The first statement is, again, a silly and really a strange dichotomy. Like, what's inspiring that statement, I wonder? Where does a statement like that come from? It's misled. In short, I think people are allowing the presence of God and the presence of Christ to become grey. It just becomes a kind of soup of Christ is present. Christ is, Christ is everywhere. Like, you know, he's just kind of in the air somewhere. There's no sense of Christ making a move towards us, a powerful, intense, um, confronting move. And there's no sense of how to reciprocate that move. How do I move powerfully back to the Lord? How do I intentionally narrow my gaze to fix it on Christ. If he's everywhere, then he's nowhere. I can't seek him. I can't be found by him. I'm nowhere as well. That's not where we are. That's not where he left us. That's not where he meets us. There's no clarity in this. There's no conviction. There's no vivid color or dynamism. Finally, there's no sense. How how nonsensical would it look if someone walked into this church and then genuflected out the window because, yeah, Christ is out there. You know, it's, it, there's a mistaken uh, losing of the presence of Christ here. I want to say, finally, we have a tremendous gift here. This morning, Bishop Michael was presiding over Mass, and he, he was with us for the procession as well. And he was speaking about the profound gift of Christ's presence. It's an astonishing gift that our Lord would desire and would, in fact, make it so, that he's here with us. We rightly feel a lack of that presence when the tabernacle behind us is empty because we walk in and we expect a tangible presence. 
We expect to localize our Lord, and evidently we can't. So the tabernacle is open, so we know, and the, and the light is off, so we know. Oh, Christ is not in that direction. Now, okay, he is everywhere. <laughs> Jed brought in the, the, the book of the Gospels for us. It's a lower presence of Christ. It's a less intense presence. But it's a presence nonetheless. Otherwise, why'd you do that? It's a kind of nonsense thing if it doesn't mean here is the words of our Lord triumphantly coming among us to speak truth into our lives once again, to empower us, to send us out, to say, go, you're on mission. We have a tremendous gift with us. In that first reading, the Israelites, they didn't know what the bread was. They said, manna, what's that? That's what that means. We have with us tonight and always, thank goodness, the bread of life, a bread which our fathers have known, our own forefathers in the faith. The bread of life. It's a manna in the sense that it is a deep, profound mystery. We rightly kneel and say, what is this? What is this? We might not know what it is, but we know who it is, and he knows us. Let's come with all our faith to the banquet. The Lord sets a table for us, he prepares it, and he calls all of us to the feast of heaven and earth.